0: Recovery Elevator, episode 337.
1: I was very, very open with people close to me about my decision. I didn't leave any room for for changing my mind. I just put myself out there as a way to create this layer of accountability. Life is
0: Welcome to the Recovery Elevator podcast. My name is Paul. Thank you so much for joining us today. On today's episode, we've got Katie. She's 38 years old. She's from Ohio and took her last drink on July 12th, 2020. Alcohol-free travel is back. Thank goodness. Recovery Elevator is going to Costa Rica this January 15th through the 23rd, and you should join us. We're meeting in San Jose, then going to La Fortuna and Arenal. This is the main volcano in the country. And then to the cloud forest of Monteverde. Then to the beach where we're going to check out the Manuel Antonio Nature Reserve and the sleepy surfer village town of Capos. On this trip, we're going to connect with nature, food, the stars, the ocean, each other, and most importantly, ourselves. So what does sober travel look like? Well, we cruise around a country for a bit, and in this trip, it's Costa Rica. We've also got three recovery workshops built in, and there's a lot of laughter. We've got space for 34 alcohol-free rock stars. Registration opens up September 1st. Go to recoveryelevator.com forward slash Costa Rica. Thank you, Liz, for putting that link in the show notes to learn more. Okay, let's get started. I really enjoyed putting together today's intro, and I hope you guys enjoyed as well. All right, native cultures believed that a sick person is like the canary in the mine and it's the sick person who represents an imbalance in the whole community, or that something is off, something is out of balance. They also believed this person should be thanked for raising the alarm that something needs to be corrected within a community. Almost like, yo, thank you for taking one for the team. So contrary to today's culture, where mental illness, autoimmune disorders, cancers, and addictions are prevalent and on the rise, These environmental conditions were rare in most cultures prior to modern times. I know it's kind of crazy to think about, but that's the case. So this is what native cultures did when there was a sick canary in the community. The whole tribe came together to help this person because they knew that they were all connected, that they were all one. The entire community would shoulder the cost to bring in healers from other tribes. All these ceremonies were different, of course, but from what I can deduce, the two main commonalities were this, music and dancing, for at least three to four days. Okay, so let's tie this into alcohol. It's in my opinion, those who struggle with the drinking problem are the canaries in the mines. Side note, I was the canary in the mine in the Canary Islands. I went to this set of islands located off the northwest coast of Africa in 2007, and was drunk and hungover for the whole trip. I don't remember much from this trip. But I do recall popcorn being my lifeline one afternoon because I was so hungover and that's all I could eat. And fun fact about canaries, yes, they do come from the Canary Islands. They have yellow feathers and occasionally they eat jalapenos. Fun fact about Paul, myself, I also occasionally eat jalapenos. Wow, we're covering a lot of ground today, team. So in 2021, there have never been more sick canaries in the mine. And if we don't all address this, well, as a species, eh, we've got some major challenges ahead. And when I say we all need to address this, I mean problematic and normal drinkers. As in, addiction, mental health is an external manifestation that something is highly out of balance internally with our species. And this imbalance affects everyone. And this is okay because this is how we grow and evolve. I feel it's addictions that shine the torchlight of where we need to go. The good news is, the canary can heal. It will heal. You, if you're listening to this podcast in hopes of quitting drinking, are the canary in the mind, and you will heal. Keep telling yourself that. Just keep at it. Okay, so how does the canary heal? I firmly believe there's no select methodology or doctrine to follow. There's no right or wrong way to ditch the booze. There are infinite ways, but there is one massive commonality. Ditching the booze in the 21st century doesn't quite look like three full nights of ceremonial dancing under a full moon with a feather headdress with the whole community anymore, but there are similarities. So let's first check out what you don't hear when someone celebrates an alcohol-free milestone. This is something you don't hear. Well guys, uh, I knew I was fucked, so I locked myself in a room, read every Quit Lit book, listen to podcasts, learn how the mind works, and, well, I beat it. Yeah, guys, I've yet to hear that one and nothing even close. What you do hear is, I'd like to thank my best friend, Susan, my mom, my dad, my AF community, my dog, the big oak tree in my backyard. Yes, that's an HP reference. And I'd like to thank all my friends who were in my corner the whole time. Or you hear something like this. I couldn't have done it without Mike, Jim, Javier, and my pet canary, Ralph. Okay, I think that's the last canary reference in this podcast episode. So let's summarize this. Number one, you can't do this alone. And number two, you need community. This could be a close group of friends who know your desire to quit drinking. AA, cafe RE, counselors, etc. There's a bunch of these. Ships need to be burned or conversations with loved ones need to take place. Accountability is desperately needed. Even if you're not, and I'm using air quotes, if you're not successful with your decision to quit drinking, you're still developing tighter bonds and relationships in your life when you burn the ships, when you have these conversations. So according to Sebastian Younger in his book, Tribe, in times of crisis, people are wired to come together and help. This isn't a kind gesture from our friends and family or even complete strangers. It's biologically how we are wired to help. And as I discussed in last episode, dopamine, serotonin, and oxytocin are released when we help others. So when a drinking problem reaches a pinnacle moment, and I'd classify this as a crisis as it was for me in 2014, the people around us want to help. They need to help. In fact, it's good for them. They need these feel-good chemicals also. Denying the loved ones in your life the opportunity to help you is doing them a disservice. So if you're ready to get off the merry-go-round of hell, aka a drinking problem, two main things need to happen. Number one, You need to ask for help. Number two, you need to receive the help. Most likely both are outside your comfort zone and that's how it's supposed to be. Let the drinking problem push you into connection. I feel that's the main point of an addiction. Yes, addiction or a drinking problem does serve a purpose. Everything does. In fact, that's gonna be the topic for episode 339. Does addiction serve a purpose? We must first become aware of the addiction. And this is the first step in I think every program involving steps. And then open up. Yes, open up. The addiction is trying to crack you open to find a spot where the light can enter if you allow it. And before we hear from Odette and Katie, let's hear from Exact Nature.
2: Exact Nature's safe and healthy CBD-based products are formulated to help you with the challenges of quitting drinking, such as addictive cravings, depression, anxiety, and lack of sleep. Learn more about these products at exactnature.com. As a Recovery Elevator listener, use the code RE20 to receive a 20% discount on your order at checkout. That's RE20 at checkout. And thank you, Exact Nature, for being our newest proud sponsor. Thanks for another wonderful intro, Paul. And Katie, welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. How are you today?
1: Thanks for having me, Odette. I'm doing, I'm doing really, really good. Thanks.
2: Thank you for being here. And let's get right to it, Katie. When was the last time you had a drink?
1: My last drink was July 12th, 2020. You just celebrated your one year. I did. I did.
2: I know we were chatting briefly before I started recording, but what are you doing to celebrate? How are you feeling? I feel like one year is a major milestone. So how was it?
1: It is a major milestone. And I honestly can say I never thought I would <laughs> make it this far. And honestly, if I can do it, anybody can do it. That's truly how I feel. But it feels so good. I um, I know we just celebrated the 4th of July recently. And so this, like the word freedom just always enters my mind and um, I feel free. I feel free of kind of this like prison I was in in, in regards to alcohol, but I celebrated by, I, I got a lot of love and support on the day, which was, I guess, not really expected, but obviously was, was amazing. And I'm going skydiving on Saturday So that's, that's one way that I'm celebrating and I'm really excited for that.
2: That's amazing. That's a great way to celebrate. And I'm so excited that you're going to get to do that. And I've been witnessing your journey probably since you started. So it's amazing to see you get here. And I love that you share that the concept of freedom is really what resonates with you because I think the more I talk to people and the more I can make friends on this path, you know, Our lives look so different, but truly that mental state, mental obsession, mental, you know, being caged in, that's, that's the struggle. And being free from that doesn't mean that our life is now perfect. It just means that at least now we don't feel like we're in this inner battle. So I'm really grateful to hear that that's how you're feeling.
1: Yeah, totally. And I, you know, like you said, life doesn't get any easier. I'm going through some really hard things. My marriage is ending. And, you know, that's hard. But I, I can truly say throughout all of this and throughout the realities of life, being if I wasn't sober right now, <laughs> I can't even begin to imagine um, how much harder it would be. And so to have that freedom and to have that like clarity of mind is such a gift.
2: I'm sorry, you're going through some hard things, Katie, I know you have a lot of support. And I'm just really happy that you are alcohol free for all of life's challenges. And let us know a little bit, Katie, about your journey. Uh, Can you let us know first, where you're from? Do you have a family? What are your hobbies? What do you do for a living? And what do you like to do for fun?
1: Sure. Okay, so I am 38 years old. I live in Northeast Ohio, a little bit South of Cleveland. I have two boys. I have a 15 and a half year old and I have a four and a half year old. Um, so a toddler and a teenager. And that was always my big joke was, and that's why I drink. And so I don't say that anymore. Obviously I'm an executive assistant to a, to a CEO at a, at a large company. I absolutely love my job. And I think a Big reason why I love it right now is because I'm still working from home. So that's been a really big blessing Through everything is to be able to have that work-life balance. Hobbies. I love all things fitness. So trying new things, trying new yoga classes, running. I love weights. I like to go hiking. I like to read. I always say that my ideal vacation is just like two weeks with no interruptions. And all I do is read. And so that has not, happened yet but hopefully
2: one of these days I can. <laughs> yeah, I also feel like I share that. I share that with you. I love reading, but it mm-hmm. takes for me not only being away but being somewhere where there's no cell reception or else it's so easy for me to just revert to my phone and I just need like no interruptions and no temptations. You know, I'm still I feel like I have an addict brain and I feel like the phone is there and I have so much stimulation, but yes, maybe we can go on a, (laughs) on a girl's trip where we just bring books and turn our phones
1: off. It's a plan. I would love to do that. And Katie, let us know a little bit more
2: about your relationship and your history with drinking. When did you start drinking? When did you realize alcohol wasn't serving your goals and what got you here?
1: Yeah. So I started drinking when I was about 16. I knew right from the beginning that it was a problem in my teenage years, all the way through early twenties, I was in legal trouble about four times with underage consumption, disorderly conduct, two DUIs, and just like consistently choosing people who had this lifestyle. And the people I was surrounding myself with in all honesty Made me feel like this was just normal. Like, in fact, many of them were doing much worse stuff, you know, "quote unquote" worse. Like, doing hard drugs, you know. So this seemed, you know, I so what I drink. I've gotten in trouble. Like that's just kind of par par with the course and par for the course. And I didn't really believe that I had that big of an issue. And it sounds crazy to say, you know, that. I just felt that this was kind of a normal part of growing up and being a teenager, being a young adult, that I was just unlucky. You know, I had a lot of people tell me like, you just, you know, you're just in the wrong place at the wrong time and you got in trouble. So I really had relationships and friendships that enabled me and kind of validated that this was okay. And so I just thought that I was the problem, that I had to figure my shit out, that I had to get my drinking under control but that it certainly wasn't the alcohol. It was all me. During that time, I was in a really, really emotionally and physically abusive on and off again relationship. And that was going on from the time I was about 18 or 19. And then we got pregnant when I was 22. So then my drinking came to a screeching halt when you know we decided to keep the baby. He made it pretty clear early on that he did not want to commit to me. Did not want to marry me. So I dealt with a lot of abandonment and rejection. And that was all while being a new mother at 22, 23. So I don't think looking back that I ever really dealt with that because I was just kind of in survival mode. Uh, thankfully, I have an amazing supportive family who was there for me through all of that. So I buckled down. I worked. I got a college degree. I graduated in. 2007, all while working part time and being a single mom. And, you know, of course, I did it with the help of family. But I am proud of that.
2: Would you say that entering this early stage of motherhood ramped up your drinking? Or was it kind of staying consistent? Were you able to maintain some sobriety while pregnant? How was your relationship with alcohol developing throughout this crazy time? Because I feel like entering motherhood is such a shock to the system.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, having my second, which I'll get to in a little bit is it was a different story, but with my first, I, um, it, alcohol wasn't an issue. I, I was able to quit while I got, pre- when I got pregnant. Um, I had him, you know, and I, I was so busy with, with college and working and it just honestly didn't fit into my life at all. I, I naturally lost a lot of the friends that I had had before, you know, cause okay. She's, she has a kid, she's pregnant. Like that's not somebody that will necessarily fit into that group anymore. And I also found a church in my hometown. Um, and I got really involved with that. And so it it just wasn't throughout, I can say throughout my twenties, drinking was not a big issue. And I really believe looking back that that break in my drinking kind of saved my life because if that would have kept accelerating the way that I'll get to in a minute that it did. I I don't know where I would be. I mean, I just think it would have been so bad. So I think that break was really helpful in my journey. But then fast forward a little bit in my early thirties, I had a really huge loss in my life. My grandma died who had a huge hand in raising me. So that triggered something in me. And I, I started drinking more. And then I met my husband, my soon to be ex-husband when I was 31. And, you know, when you meet somebody, there's the, the dating and the, the celebrations and the engagement, and you meet each other's friends and all these things. So that was reason to drink. And then, and then the stress of blending a family was reason to drink. And then he was laid off and that was reason to drink. So I had all these reasons that was kind of, kind of led me back to this vice of mine. And so, yeah. And then like I said, he got laid off and then just the stressors of having a new family and being married. And then the pandemic hit last year and that, you know, the reality of my marriage kind of ending, uh, became real and it was just became an everyday occurrence It snowballed to every day, drinking in the shower, drinking to make hangovers go away you know, Oh, I'm working from home. It's okay. If I open the beer at four o'clock, nobody's going to know. So yeah, I'm grateful on July 13th, 2020, I woke up and it's not like anything worse had happened to me this day than had happened to me before I'd had plenty of, of quote unquote, worse things happen. But, but for some reason I was done.
2: You did say early on when you shared that you were connecting with people that, drank in the way that you drank to where it almost felt normal. And it felt like that's what everyone around you was doing. You did mention though, that you felt like you were the problem. I'm assuming because you maybe like felt like you couldn't manage it or you couldn't string any days without drinking. I'm not sure what the process was, but what was your thought process at the time? Did you think I'm going to have to quit at some point or what was your mindset when you when you felt like you were the problem?
1: Yeah, quitting, honestly, was never, <laughs> it was just never an option. I mean, all through, I mean, like I said, I had a break in my 20s where I would, I would drink here and there, but it was never a problem. But I, I never wanted to fully quit. I just thought, you know, there are people out there who can drink in a healthy way. And I have to be there. You know, I really believed I don't need more, but I believed that somebody that struggled with alcohol was the homeless guy under the bridge with a paper bag. Mm-hmm. I didn't. I didn't know. I had no idea, honestly, until last year when I decided to completely give it up. I didn't realize there was this whole whole world of people just like me who struggled silently for all these years and placed the blame on themselves and were you know, draining themselves mentally to try to figure out how to moderate and to manage it. And it just didn't, it seems so obvious now, but it did not occur to me that, that the problem was, was not me. The problem was the substance and that it just wasn't serving me.
2: Yeah. So you had some moderation attempts, created your own rules. Like, did you have different approaches to trying to quote unquote, manage your relationship with alcohol?
1: I did. I did. Yeah, I tried everything like, okay, you know, only drink on the weekends. And then it was like, okay, only drink Thursday through Sunday. And, you know, so slowly, what, what my rule was would change. And I I never was able to stick to any kind of moderation. It was, you know, drink a glass of water in between each drink, and sip on one drink the whole night, you know, and then I would get that first drink in. And it was, it was all thrown out the window. So no moderation attempts would last with any consistency at all. And it's just kind of laughable. Now, when I look back at all the things that I tried to do,
2: it's so hard. I feel like we are always, you know, given the advice, especially on this journey, because it it takes a lot of ups and downs and and feelings and challenges. We're always hearing the advice of don't be so hard on yourself. But I also feel like when we're attempting moderation, we're the opposite of being hard on ourselves. We give ourselves so much flexibility. We like (laughs) bend our boundaries. We give ourselves a pass. Oh, I'm going to try tomorrow. I'm going to start again. It's like, we're in this conversation with ourselves. That is just, there is no outcome that is possible. And I think for the most of us, like we all realize it's not going to work because we're always making these negotiations with ourselves that are yielding the same result of managing to flex, managing, managing to step outside of the boundaries in order to follow that drink. And it's like, it it just, it doesn't work.
1: (laughs) No. And that's why I I used the word freedom earlier, because I always say like the mental gymnastics that I was going through and the amount of time that I spent thinking about it is is embarrassing now when I think about it, I'm just like I, I cannot even believe all the times I would think about drinking and when I was going to get my next drink and um, what can I do to cut back or appear more of a normal drinker and um, so there's so much like headspace that has been cleared up from just like getting rid of it completely. I don't even I mean, I, I would be lying if I said I don't ever think about it, because that's just, I do, it, it does pop up from time to time. But it's way, it's way less than it was. That's for sure.
2: Yeah, totally. It's, it's emotionally draining, you know, it's a different type of exhaustion. It's not physical, it's emotional. And it's in, in your, in your mind, in your brain, we're already thinking all the time. And it, like you said, it's these extra gymnastics and these extra efforts to make it work. And it just ultimately doesn't. And when you finally take that leap and go into maybe I should just drop it all. It's like there's this new empty room inside of our brains. There's all new space. Completely. Yeah. And Katie, what was it like? You know, it's been it was almost around this time last year. What was it like the last the last week, the last two weeks of July, what was it like starting on this journey? What what helped you stay sober? What did you have to change? How was that initial stage for you?
1: Yeah, one thing that really helped me, and I know everybody has differing opinions on this or differing comfort levels with this, but I was very, very open with people close to me about my decision. I didn't leave any room for for changing my mind. I just put myself out there as a way to create this layer of accountability. And I didn't even, I didn't even know what I was doing other than I knew that I couldn't go back anymore. And I knew that like, this was my decision. I did not want to go back. And I, on my day one, I joined cafe RE because I knew I needed, I knew I needed support from people. And so surrounding myself with community and like-minded individuals, as well as telling the people around me what I was doing, honestly, is what is the only reason I'm here with, with a year sober is because I did those two things. Because I knew that if people were people that were close to me knew what I was trying to accomplish, that they were rooting for me and they were, they knew, you know, what I was trying to achieve and they would you know, help me out if I was struggling. And so um, I, I have always just put myself out there in a way to make sure that I had that accountability, that people knew what it was that I was trying to do. So the early days, and it, and it wasn't easy. I mean, I really, I think what was hardest for me was, you know, the stressors of the pandemic, number one, because this was right in the middle of the pandemic at the height of the pandemic. Um, so the stressors of that combined with um, being a mom to a teenager and a toddler and everything with my marriage and just all of that going on. I didn't know what to fall back on. Like I just didn't have the knowledge. And that's a lot of what I'm learning and have learned over this past year of what to substitute and the, tu- you know, they talk about your toolbox, what to put in my toolbox. So it was, it was really tough. I would say those first 30 days were really hard. And then after that, you think about it less, you um, just gradually over time, you just start to realize that, hey, I like this life way better than my old life. And I can never I mean, I, I can say deep in my soul that I believe I can never go back.
2: You know, you said right at the beginning of your interview, when you were introducing how your journey with drinking started that you look back and you made these decisions, we all have choices and you chose Your circle of influence, like you chose the people that you were surrounding yourself with, and those were the people that were enabling your decisions and also making you feel in a way like you belonged and that everything that you were doing was perfectly normal. And it's almost like you did the exact same thing when you decided to pursue sobriety. It's like, I'm going to surround myself with people that make sobriety feel normal instead of drinking feel normal. You just made that switch. And even though it was hard, I feel like it's so helpful not only to share, like you said, and to build your support system from the beginning, but also to just walk hand in hand with people that are going in the same direction. Because you also said right at the beginning, you know, if I can, anybody can do this. And I feel like we have to see that in other people. We have to see that other people are being able to do this. And that almost helps build our own confidence and feel that that thought of if they can do it, I can do it too. And it's maybe not going to be easy at first. I appreciate that you shared that it felt very hard initially, but it keeps reinforcing the belief. If you do surround yourself with people that are doing the same thing and trying to achieve that same life that you know, you want.
1: Yes. Oh, that's so true. And I, you know, when you were talking just now, of a vision of like, you know, somebody climbing a, a mountain or a hill and kind of holding their hands below them to help, help somebody climb up with them and then reaching up, you know, the person who's below them, reaching up for that person to grab their hand. It's kind of sobriety. Like, you know, you people who, are, who have gone before you and have, you know, there are people out there who have years and years on me and those are the people in cafe area or in my life that I can look to and that I can glean wisdom out of and that I can follow and take their hand. And, and, you know, I, by nature tend to be more of a follower than a leader. And so, you know, like you said, selecting the people who I want to be like and who I want to emulate, it's just a beautiful, beautiful thing. And unless you're in, you know, unless you've learned the, or seen the sobriety world or had a taste of that and just the community that's there, You don't know how just magical it really is.
2: Yeah, I love that. And you did say also, you know, it's hard, but then after some reps of hard, you start kind of feeling differently and looking around and being like, wow, I'm really liking this. What aspects of your life were changing in a positive way that were making you think differently and say, wow, I could probably stick to this because this is getting better or I'm liking this new aspect of my life?
1: Yeah, so... Health and you know fitness and eating healthy and all those things have always been important to me and I just believe that alcohol cannot fit into that. Our culture will tell you differently. I mean, we have um, health and wellness viewers who are touting alcohol and articles that are talking about the benefits of alcohol, and so it's countercultural to what we're hearing. But I really believe that. You can't be healthy and have, you know, be your healthiest self with the presence of alcohol. So just the consistency with everything, consistency with eating, I'm not perfect, but eating healthier consistency with going to the gym, things that drinking was only hindering and just removing alcohol has helped me to be able to be consistent with all these things. I can say that I, I am I am less selfish than I was when I was regular regularly drinking. And that's been kind of, I don't know, surprising, I guess. Like, I don't know why that is, but I am way more focused on fostering my friendships and being there for my friends. I think because I'm not, you know, nursing a hangover all the time Mm -hmm. and flaking out on plans with friends, you know, I think my friends just kind of gave up on asking me to do things because I would always flake out. And so I, I, I just feel like I've left survival mode and have gone into more of a growing and thriving. And it's just more exciting. It's not the survival mode anymore. It's okay. What can I do to be the best version of myself? And those, I never had the luxury or the ability to think about that before.
2: I think you shared in your response, one of my favorite unexpected perks of this journey, which is like authentically being able to show up for other people Mm -hmm. because I feel like for many of us drinking was, I don't know, for me personally, I'll speak for myself, like linked to people pleasing. So maybe I didn't want to go to an event and having a few drinks would help me kind of get through an event that I didn't want to go to. Or, you know, it just, I feel like I show up, I'm not a flake. And when I show up, I show up authentically. So It feels so good because in a way, when you're like showing up for other people, authentically, it only means you're showing up for yourself authentically. It doesn't feel like this. Oh man, I got to get a few drinks to to get through this family function or whatever. It just feels like it's in line with who I am. And that has felt really neat.
1: Yeah, I agree. A hundred percent, you know, and kind of along those lines, you know, in the past alcohol was a big reason why I would attend functions. So I I can't imagine going to a wedding and there not being alcohol. Like who does that? Who has a wedding with no alcohol? That's crazy. Um, and now it's like, you know, if I'm invited to a wedding or, or a shower or whatever, whatever the event or function is, I am there to celebrate that person. I am there to celebrate that union or that, uh, whatever it is. And it, I don't even have to think about the alcohol. I'm there for the reason why they're having this in the first place. And you can show up for that person in a way that is, is like you said, authentic and genuine.
2: You did say that even though you are confident in your decision, there are times because we're human that, that the thought does pop into your mind or that you do think about alcohol. What do you do when you get a craving?
1: Yeah, we talk about this a lot in recovery, but playing the tape forward is big for me because I know how, I know what's going to happen. I know that it's not going to stop at that drink and it may stop at that drink today, but it's going to, it's going to quickly spiral and escalate because I have 20 years of history (laughs) to show what has happened. Um, So really playing the tape forward and thinking through what will happen, who I will disappoint, um, having that accountability. And even though you know, the, the support of the community is amazing. And even if I did choose to drink, they would still be there for me. I would have that disappointment in myself. And I would know that it would be that much harder to pick it back up, pick my sobriety back up. And then the more time I have, the more, the harder to think about going back is I can't imagine like giving up a year right now and some practical things. I, you know, somebody said, I've heard like Uh, move your body, change a thought. So when I get a craving, there have been times when I just like pop in my, my headphones and go for a walk or um, just walk around the house if I can't leave and putting on podcasts, those help a ton. Just hearing people talk about their stories and their struggles and just listening, listening to other people's stories gets me out of my own head. And then just knowing that like, we know that cravings typically only last about 20 minutes. So, it, there have been very few times where I've, you know, thought about it and then it's lasted longer than a few minutes. Like usually I'm able to distract myself enough to to get over it.
2: Yeah, and I don't know about you, but I feel like I've made a little bit of a transition. I mean, granted with the summer here right now in San Diego, I've definitely gotten a few very specific cravings, like a beer by the beach, um, you know, and or Mm. restaurants opening back up and a a bottle of wine with a nice dinner. Those are more specific. But I feel like what was happening to me at the beginning of this journey is that I was labeling all uncomfortable feelings as a craving. Maybe they Mm. weren't all cravings. Maybe it was just I was feeling a certain way and I didn't want to feel that way anymore. And in my mind, I would be like, oh, it's a craving. And and yes, it was a something that I wanted to escape from, which maybe that is what a craving is. But I've started to really just more look at it through a different lens and be more like, oh, instead of a craving, maybe it's just a discomfort, you know, and I can get rid of this discomfort in many ways, like you said, going out for a walk, or it, it'll just letting it pass or th- picking up the phone and calling a friend. So I think we kind of do make that shift. And we also start recognizing our emotions better because at the beginning of this journey, I didn't even know the difference between being sad or upset was, you know, it's, it all was just such a blur that you start getting to know yourself a little bit better and you're better able to label what's happening.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. And I, you know, it's, <laughs> I thought it was so cheesy at the time when everybody would say things like just, you just have to sit in your feelings, just sit in them. <laughs> <laughs> like, what the hell does that mean? But it is, it is such a roller coaster and it's such a, it ebbs and flows. And so I could be having the worst day today. And then tomorrow is a brand new, fresh start and, 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 Lord knows I am so grateful that I didn't choose on my shitty day to start drinking because today I'd feel even worse and I would have a hangover. And so if you, if you are able to get through it and to do what it takes to not give into that craving, you will just be so grateful that you did.
2: 100%. Say, Katie, that you do get an invitation to that hypothetical wedding that we were talking about and you go to a wedding. What's your go-to response if someone that doesn't really know that you're on this path offers you a drink?
1: Oh, that's a good question. You know, because things are starting to open back up, I haven't had a lot of those those experiences, but I just say, no thanks. I don't drink. And there's only been a couple of times when people like ask more questions, but it's typically usually out of their own curiosity, like, Oh, like, you know, just wanting to know why or what my reasoning is. But that's one thing that I think I made a bigger deal out of was, well, you know, you mentioned people pleasing earlier, like, well, what are people going to think? Like, it's weird. Like, I don't want to make people uncomfortable. Because I was the person when I was heavy into my addiction, that thought if you didn't drink, and you were sober, then you must be super boring and mm. have no fun. And I would judge you. And it's so embarrassing to say now, but that's what I did. So I didn't want to be judged like that. Um, and I was worried about when I first started on this journey, what I would say and how I would say it. And now I don't care at all. And I'm proud. I am so proud of my decision. And I I think there's a fine line. Like I don't ever want people to look at me as thinking I'm better than you, or I judge you because you drink, because that is not the case. I still have family and friends very close to me who are normal drinkers, and I don't judge anybody for their decisions. I would be the last person in the world to judge anybody for their decisions. But yeah, to answer your question, it's just, I don't go into detail, especially with people I don't know very well. I just It's just a no thanks, I don't drink.
2: I think what you shared is really important, and it's it's also part of crossing a different bridge of going from that place where it's awkward and maybe you don't want people to know to a place where sharing or just saying I don't drink has a little bit of a sense of pride instead of a sense of shame even possibly because I think it's almost like the same evolution that we internally have to go through from judging ourselves to loving ourselves, or even just accepting ourselves. I feel like loving ourselves is another concept, like what you're sharing of like, love yourself, what does that even
1: feel like?
2: (laughs) But I think we do kind of evolve from feeling not very highly of ourselves. Because a lot of us when we get to the decision to quit drinking, we, we don't have a lot of self confidence, we just feel like this mental prison that we've been discussing, like we feel not great to feeling aligned and authentic and confident. So I feel like that reflects on how we show up in like social settings. And I think it's just normal where, wherever you're at in that process, I just want to encourage listeners to just know that it's okay. It just takes time to get to that confidence level. Not because maybe you're not a confidence person. I think it's just a big reflection of kind of what's going on inside as well.
1: I agree with that 100%. That does come with time and it may be shaky in the beginning. And I think, you know, I had exit plans for different gatherings and, you know, if I had to leave early because I felt uncomfortable or I was worried that I'd be triggered, then I would leave early. And I just... I granted myself a lot of permissions to do those types of things. And, you know, I had to be very planful in the beginning and it's not like that as much anymore, but you do what you have to do to protect your sobriety because it is a gift and you just have to protect it. One thing I was thinking too, is it's kind of silly to me when you're in social situations, if anybody ever, you know, if you were to say to somebody, I uh, decided to not, Uh, snort cocaine anymore, then that's like celebrated. That's great. You're not a, you know, you don't do drugs anymore. That's wonderful. But when you say, yeah, I don't, I don't drink anymore. Like I decided to give it up. Then people look at you like you're crazy. Not everybody, but some people do. And um, it's just so silly to me how our culture has allowed it to be so glorified. And so those types of things do give me, you know, the confidence to be able to be where I'm at right now.
2: Yeah, there's definitely a cultural uh, difference. I think I heard somewhere else that like, if you see a person on the street overdose, you have a very different reaction that if you see someone downtown outside of the clubs, like stumbling and and tipping over drunk, a lot of the times there's a lot of humor behind that, like people joking at people that are drunk, or laughing at people that are drunk, or, you know, this whole like, thing about you wake up and you have like writing on your face or something like there's this cultural disassociation with the damages that alcohol does do to everyone Mm -hmm. not just people that are struggling with addiction and you know people that maybe even drink normally but there's this different lens and I do think it's a it's a society and and cultural thing but hopefully little by little I think I, I I'm always a optimist glass half full I think hopefully maybe like the tobacco industry little by little that cultural narrative will start to change and people will see like whoa alcohol is also a drug it is also very dangerous and more dangerous than many things that we don't think are as dangerous so it's a whole other conversation (laughs) (laughs) that's true oh Katie what have you found a favorite non-alcoholic beverage that you go to
1: Yeah, actually, I feel like you might have told me about this. It's the Lagunitas Happy Refresher. So good. (laughs) It's so good. I actually, this is crazy. I um, just went into my local liquor store on a whim to see if they would have it or, and they did not have it, but he said that he could special order it for me. And so obviously, for obvious reasons, I have avoided the liquor store for the last year. But but seeing this happy refresher, it seemed like something I would love. And it is everything I imagined and more. It's so good. You
2: know, and I'm really glad you had the conversation with the guy or girl that was working at the liquor store because we have something similar happen where there's a liquor store right next to our house. And we used to give them a lot of business because we used to buy all of our <laughs> liquor and booze there and now it took some time of us not going and now my husband and I go often because they stock the hop water things to us asking and the cool thing is since Lagunitas already makes beer if they're already carrying their beer it's so easy for them to just add yeah that product so it does sometimes just takes take us asking and having that conversation they've also started stocking like our favorite kombucha and our favorite energy drink. So now I go in there and I have like a completely different type of haul, but it is important when you're ready and if you're ready to have those conversations because you'd be surprised at how liquor stores can accommodate for non-drinkers as well.
1: Oh, a hundred percent. And I know everybody's at a different place when it comes to like the non-alcoholic beers. Some, some are triggered by that and I get that completely. Um, but if you're not and it, it helps you to stay sober, I, that honestly is what has gotten me through that and kombucha, kombucha, which you also told me watermelon was a good flavor. And so watermelon, kombucha and the hoppy refresher are my two go-tos.
2: It's so strange because even the liquor store guy, I feel like if I, I couldn't buy my beer there if I went back to drinking because now he knows I don't drink. And I feel like (laughs) there would be this awkward moment of like, wait, what's happening? (laughs) Are you or aren't you? Oh, my goodness, Katie, we reached the rapid fire round. I feel like we could talk for ages, but we do have to get to this. If you can answer these questions in 30 seconds or less, that would be fabuloso. Are you ready? I think so. What are you excited about right now? other than jumping out of a plane.
1: (laughs) I don't know if excited is the word for that. Um, I'm excited for my sober girls meetup in August. We are going to Clearwater, Florida. So I'm so excited for that.
2: It's going to be so fun. What would you say to your younger self, Katie?
1: I would say you are enough as you are. You don't have to prove anything to anybody and alcohol will only make things worse.
2: What is a light bulb moment you have you have had during this journey?
1: My light bulb moment was the day I decided to quit. And it was when I finally listened to the voice, which I believe is God, you could say the universe telling me the only way through this is to just let it go completely. Um, That voice was there for years. But for some reason on July 13th of 2020, I listened to it.
2: What's your favorite ice cream flavor? Coffee. Do you also like drinking a lot of coffee? I do. I
1: love all things
2: (laughs) coffee. What are some of your favorite resources on this journey?
1: My favorite resources are podcasts. So I listed a recovery elevator course. I listen to recovery happy hour. Um, and then there's a few others out there. So I would say all the, all the podcasts and my favorite quitlet book, as they say, is um, the luckiest club. So books and podcasts have been my two go-tos.
2: There are so many great podcasts. And there are so many great people creating content for us. It's so neat to see it unfold. So I'm glad that you that you listen to us. Thank you so much. And I'm glad that you also are learning from other people because we need more. We need more, more support, more help. And I I do feel like this movement is unfolding. So
1: changing the world.
2: Yeah, 100%. What parting piece of guidance can you give to listeners who are thinking about quitting drinking?
1: I would say if you've been questioning, which, I mean, if you're listening, maybe, you know, you are, try not to think about it too much and just do it. We tend to make things a much bigger deal in our heads. I thought that my life would be over and my fun would be over without alcohol. And that's just a lie. If you need help quitting, you know, I would say go through proper medical channels to detox, but otherwise just stop, make the decision now, tell people close to you, Um, I can promise you a year into this, that life is way better and way more fun.
2: And before we depart, give listeners your own, you may have to say adios to booze if flying.
1: Um, you may have to say adios to booze. If you choose your fun and your social functions based off of whether or not there will be alcohol.
2: Katie, I'm so glad that we got to do this. I'm so happy that I know you, that I can call you friend. And thank you so much for sharing your journey with everyone on the show. I appreciate you.
1: I appreciate you, Odette. Thanks for all you do. I'm really grateful for you and the community.
2: Take care. I'll talk to you soon, Katie.
1: All right. Bye. Very
2: well, Team Ari, That wraps up our interview for today. And before I say adios, I want to share something with you. I asked all of our Instagram audience a question that I normally ask in our podcast interview, and I got some amazing responses. The prompt was, what would you say to your younger self? Here is what some of you had to say. Live for yourself. No amount of alcohol will make him see you. You are beautiful. Don't be afraid to show your true self. You are loved. You are worth it. You don't have to be them. You are enough. It only matters what you think of yourself. Drugs and alcohol don't make you cool. Being a good person does. It's okay to fall. Learn to love yourself. Being the wild party girl is not all it's cracked up to be. You're going to make mistakes, it's inevitable. Handling the stress of it all will only be magnified a thousand times if you drink about it. I love you. It wasn't your fault. I see you, and I'm sorry you're hurting. See yourself and hold yourself at a high value. What you are chasing has been in your heart the whole time, not a bottle. Everything you think alcohol is helping you achieve is false. You are being held back. You can accomplish so much more sober. You are none of the things you say to yourself in your head. Be as kind to yourself as you are to others. You are allowed to feel the way you do, and you don't have to hide it to please those around you. Let your hair grow long. Let your laugh grow loud. Take your intuition seriously. Wow, team, what a list. Remember that you're not alone, and together is always better recovery elevator, you deserve love, acceptance, and belonging. We can do this. I love you guys.
3: Get out of the story. Get out of the story and use the mind to locate the body. Move the energy inside by talking, walking, and most importantly, trusting that the body already knows how to do so fight a drinking problem or an addiction because it's trying to tell us something and we must listen. It's nudging us in a certain direction. Listen to the heart and follow your gut intuition. This will never mislead you. People often ask me, what's the one thing I can do? The response is always the same. Burn the ships. It's these repetitive thoughts that always drive you to make the same decisions. It's these familiar decisions that always lead to the same actions. It's these familiar actions that always result in the same outcomes. It's these same outcomes that constantly result in the same emotions. It's these familiar emotions that give you those familiar feelings these feelings that always lead to the same thoughts thereby completing the cycle
0: if you can recognize this you will be empowered to change your thinking